you know, kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the, of the conversation was that same thing. And I just, I feel like that's what it taught me was that God really is going to take care of us. And even when we feel like there's no hope or we're in the midst of a really dark season or an uncertain season that, uh, you know, God's going to take care of us. It might look different for you than it does me, but God's going to take care of us in the best way that he knows how to do and in, in the best way that he knows will be applicable for us. Because oftentimes we think we know what's best for us, but we don't. And God's going to take care of us in the way that is best for us. Ah, that is right. You are being taken care of in the best way that is for you. Hello, friends and listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Happy Place Podcast. I am your host, Vince. Joining me today on the show is a new friend, Cole Claiborne. Cole has a podcast, and it is called In No Hurry with Cole Douglas Claiborne. Cole and I, through this episode, we get to hear some of Cole's story, why he started the podcast, what 2020 taught him. Uh, We're also going to talk about the Cardinals. He is a very big St. Louis Cardinals fan. As you all know, so am I. So we talk about that. And really, we talk about just pursuing your dreams, pursuing what you want to do within your life and how every step of the way, uh, the God, divine maker, the eternal one, whatever name you use, is always there on that path. And he's always there with you, guiding you and making things work out for you, which makes me think of this. And we talk a little bit about um, perfectionism and starting things. We talk about that in this episode. But if you have an idea, you have a big dream, you have an ambition, just start. Your ducks don't have to be in a row. You have a duck and just start. Seth Godin talks a lot about that of uh, so many of us wait to start something when we have all of our ducks in a row. And in all honesty, start with a duck. And so just take the next step, whatever that is. Maybe you want to start a podcast. Maybe you want to start baking more. Maybe you want to have an online business. Maybe you want to go get your real estate license. Whatever it is, just start taking the next step. You have one life, and it's this life. So make it the best. Make your happy place. And just go all in on all your dreams and ambitions. All right, enough about me preaching. Thanks for listening. It truly means a lot to me. And uh, I hope wherever you are, you're safe and doing well and enjoying your life. All right, here's my interview with Cole. No, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so I, uh, I don't know. I was looking for, I'm on season two and was looking for guests. And I thought, you know what? I want to, you, you had, you have great guests. And I thought, well, I bet you'll be a good guest. So yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I saw you, you mentioned you had Leslie and Matt on your show. Yeah. And so I, I produced their show, their, their podcast. Very cool. Uh, and so I was texting her last night and I just said, I don't get a chance to be a guest on shows very often. And so I was like, I was like, who, how is, uh, how is the show? I, I'd listened to, to the episode with them, but I just said, you know, I'm going on the show with Vince. How is he? And she said, oh, he's a really, really good man. You'll enjoy him. So cool. I was curious. I was like, I don't know how you even discovered me. So I was, I don't get asked to be on a lot of shows. So <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, I think I found you through, I think you, you had Matt on there. I'm scrolling through. I think you did have Matt on there. I had Matt point. and then I had Leslie on. I had both okay. of them on. And so I think I heard the one with Matt and then I just started listening and wow, everybody right. you interview is really kind of in my space as well. Like, okay. 
serial entrepreneur the last 12 years, I've been on both sides of success, but then also incredible just failure upon failure. And now we do a lot of um, like emotional and mental health consulting, if you will, with entrepreneurs. And, um, and so I don't know, I just found all your, your stuff and I just really liked it. And so I thought, what the heck? Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, who are you? Because you have a good backstory, right? You started in one field. You completely left that field, started in something else. You have a podcast. Um, yeah, I want to give me the whole backstory. Yeah, so um, my name's Cole. Uh, people haven't listened to my show before. Uh, my name's Cole Claiborne. And I, I, yeah, I was a journalist for a number of years. That's what I went to college for. I went to Western Kentucky University right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where I live. And um yeah, from the time I was in high school, that's all I wanted to do was be a journalist. I wanted to be a sports writer. And that's, you know, my, my interest has always been in sports. And I just, I knew that I had an ability to write and I loved telling stories. And that was all of that mixed together. So I went to college for journalism. I worked at my college newspaper and I was uh, the editor. By the time I was a senior, I was the editor of the newspaper and went into the professional journalism world and worked there for about four years. And I think in my mind in college, I was, I was kind of excited about having this potential career of working my way, my way up to hopefully covering professional baseball or college basketball or something in a big city. But my first job out of college, I worked at uh, this tiny little town in Kentucky and it was a tiny newspaper. And I just realized how I don't want to have to move around all the time to work my way up. I just kind of had a realization in my first job that I really honestly want to get married and have a family and have a stable life. I don't want to have to move around all the time. And mm -hmm. it was just too much uncertainty uh, economically and just professionally. The schedule was not very conducive to having a life. So about four years after I started, I, I went into teaching and uh, that kind of was catapulted by, I, I was a tennis player in high school and I got asked to be a, an assist assistant tennis coach at a local high school. And that kind of just prompted me to go into education. And so that's where I'm at now. And thankfully God has been, uh, you know, provisional with me where I also have a, a second kind of side job, uh, with sports spectrum, which is a, a website and a magazine that covers kind of the intersection of faith and sports. And so I get to write about the faith aspect of sports and still kind of be involved in journalism and, and produce other people's podcasts. And so uh, I'm at a spot now professionally where kind of all of my interests are blended in one. So it's been really awesome to see how God has worked in that way. Yeah, that's cool. So how did you get teamed up with uh, Sports Spectrum? Uh, so I'm, I'm in the process of writing what I hope will become my first book. And I was meeting with a friend of mine from back home. I'm from Evansville, Indiana. And so before my wife and I moved down here, I was meeting with a friend of mine who used to live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he knew this guy named Stephen Copeland, who ended up being the co-author for both of Jason Romano's books. And Jason Romano is the, the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast and now the director of media at Sports Spectrum. And he said, you ought to reach out to Steven. He probably will have some good content or good connections for you. And so that summer, that was 2019, I reached out to Steven really just to ask some questions about the book publishing industry. And he said, hey, you ought to reach out to Jason to see about writing for Sports Spectrum. And nothing really materialized with them that summer because they were kind of in a, in a different phase of, of their uh, just financial state. I mean, they, they were doing well. They just didn't have an ability to pay and really a need for somebody else at that time. But then I had Jason on my show about January, I think of 2020. And on that call afterward, he said, I, I want to get with you about writing for our website. And so all of 2020, I did 
just some freelance writing here and there for the website and a few magazine stories. And then uh, this past fall, they posted a job listing where they needed somebody to help produce podcasts on their network, which include Matt and Leslie holidays and a few others, and also write for the website. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly perfect. what I do. Yeah. And so it's a paying to paying job. And so I, Even better. For, yeah, so I applied <laughs> for it and, and thankfully got it. It was one that like, it was a real big, answer to prayer for my wife and I, um, there was a revenue stream that we had that was ending at the end of the year. And, um, we just were kind of unsure how we were going to pay for some of our bills and stuff without that revenue stream coming in. And that came in and it's basically the exact money that we were going to be losing. Yeah. Man, isn't so that it just, that the, yeah, the, the way, the way God works is just, and those kind of things, like for me, financial worries has always been kind of the main area of anxiety for me and this for God to take care of us in that way was, was really awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. The yeah. anxiety, where did that come from? Uh, just like in terms of money and stuff, yeah. uh, I, I think no career that I've had has really made a ton of money. I mean, I was a journalist and now I'm a teacher. So, um, I mean, I make more money as a teacher than I did as a journalist. So if that tells you anything, I mean, most people know teacher, teacher salaries are not great. And so I think I just have always, I've never felt like I've had a whole lot of money. I've always kind of just been, you know, like not scraping by, by any means, but I I'm, I've got, you know, student loan debt. I have a car payment now and I just, I've not really been able to save the way that I wanted to. And I think I just have always been anxious about being able to provide for my family, whether that was before I was married, I was worried about, you know, my future wife. And now that my wife and I are married, we're, we're doing a lot of budgeting this year. We're doing kind of the Dave Ramsey stuff, but I think a part of it too is, and I've talked a lot about this in my own writing and my own podcast, but I think a lot of it is comparison. I mean, you see a lot yeah. of people yeah. that maybe, they are or are not, I don't know, financially well off. They at least show as if they are on social media. Hey, we bought this house. I bought this car. And um, you don't really see a lot of the debt that they're in. But I think you see what looks like some people's financial successes. And you know the reality of your situation. And I think we get caught sometimes comparing the reality of our situation to what appears to be kind of like an avatar of somebody else's reality. You know, like yeah. I think most people's reality is closer to our reality. We just don't see that. And I think we are tempted to compare what we know to be true about us to what might not actually be true about somebody else. Right. And I think that's kind of where a lot of that started as well. Yeah. I lived that life too. And, and I still get trapped in it. But as I was saying before, as an entrepreneur, you see all your um, peers, if you will, looking like they're super successful, right? You go on their Instagram or their LinkedIn and they look like they're killing it. And yeah. then you look at your life and you're like, I'm not killing it. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> and then in reality though, you talk to them and they're not killing it either. Yeah, um, It's just this facade. It's the same thing, right? That avatar is really actually closer to our reality than what we think. Yeah. I had a, a really interesting guy on my podcast about a year ago. His name is Daniel M and he's an author. He's a pastor. And he wrote this book that really dealt with a lot of the lies that we tell ourselves. And a lot of that was comparison. And one thing that he mentioned was that people literally are going into debt in order to appear a certain way online. And it's, it's crazy, crazy how people will go. Like he said, how many people 10 years ago really even cared or knew about the country Iceland? But now you see all these fancy posts and pictures on Instagram of how beautiful Iceland is. And now people 
are always going to Iceland to take, you know, places like Iceland. He used that kind of as a metaphor, but really, I mean, it's true. Like people will go to the craziest places to take an expensive vacation so that they can show it on Instagram. And like, he basically said, how, how likely would you be to go on a vacation? If somebody said, you can go to this awesome place, the most beautiful place in the world, but you can't post any pictures from it. Or you could go to some other place. that's kind of cool, but not nearly as cool. And you could post all the pictures in the world that you want most people are going to take the one where they can post all the pictures. And it's just kind of a crazy thing that that kind of strikes, I think speaks to how we look at contentment and identity and comparison and all of those things. And uh, in a lot of ways, social media has been good, but in a lot of ways like that, it's been harmful for the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's well said too. How do you split your time right now between school and then producing? Because I, I, produce my own podcast and it's it's a lot i'm also not really good at it (laughs) so um but how do you juggle your time and you're married do you have kids yet we don't have kids yet no um we've been married a little over three years but it's i'm still kind of figuring out a rhythm i've got a, a pretty good one so far Thankfully, this semester as a teacher, I've got a student teacher who's able to help me with planning and grading, which uh, really helps. But it's 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 hard because um, like some weeks are like this week, you know, it's uh, that, the week that we're talking is, is Super Bowl week. And there's a lot of content for us to produce. And yeah. um, that's it's just been a lot of stuff going on. But I kind of have had a rhythm where, you know, I come home from school and uh, give myself a little bit of a break. But for a few hours, you know, I knock out whatever it is that I need to do. Uh, Matt and Leslie usually record their show on a Sunday. So Monday when I get home, uh, before I go to my church small group, that's usually whenever I do their show stuff. And then uh, we have another one that is out on Thursdays. And so depending on my availability, Tuesday or Wednesday, it's kind of when I do that one. And then I just kind of write here or there, mostly on the weekends because that's when a lot of sports happen. But mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of how I've been able to divide my time. And for me, it, like that, it's, a, it's a really good like gig to have because – it doesn't really feel like extra work for me. I really enjoy it. And a lot of it's relaxing. And it's also kind of cool that I get to talk about sports and it's pretty much a ministry and there's not a lot of places that kind of mix that really well. And so it's not really like I, you know, like some, some teachers unfortunately have to have a second job and it's stocking shelves at a grocery store. And, you know, that can be pretty exhausting because you're already worn out from the school day. Then you got to go do physical work mm-hmm. like that. And for me, it's, it's not, it's not really a lot of extra work because it's, it's fun and I'm not the best podcast producer by any means. I mean, I know how to do the same things that I do for my show, but it's, it's fun and it's good content that I've been putting out there. And it feels like I'm kind of helping to put out, you know, God, uh, God honoring content. That's hopefully going to expose Jesus in kind of a non-confrontational way to people. And if they come to read a story about Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals, they might come to read it about him because they like him as a baseball player, but then they're also going to learn about his faith and what propels him as a person. And that's a cool way and sort of a non-confrontational way to evangelize the people, which is kind of more in my comfort zone. I'm not really great at the face-to-face, like in-your-face evangelism but yeah, i do want no, to be able either. to share i do want to be able to share the truth of the of the gospel and to me that's kind of a way that i can do that with using my skills as well yeah so let's talk about the cardinals so i'm in st louis right yeah, i've been yeah. i was in doctrine into being a cardinal fan evansville indiana that's cardinal that's oh, yeah. cardinal territory so did you grow up a cards fan mm-hmm. as a yeah. kid all right cool yeah. So my dad is a big Dodgers fan and it's really okay. weird because uh, there's a picture of me and I still have the, the little sticker. It's like one of those car decals, but whenever I was a newborn baby in the, in the hospital bed, he put a little Dodgers car decal in my bed, hoping that I would become a Dodgers fan. And then 
uh, I grew up, I was born in 89. So by the time I was really starting to watch baseball, um, where I really knew what was going on. I, I want to say my first season that I really remember was the 96 season. So I remember Ozzie Smith and his last years yeah, and yeah. Uh, that team that lost to the Braves and all that. And then obviously 98 with McGuire was kind of like my first real, like, this is an awesome thing. Yes. Like, the, like yeah. nine, the, the summer of 98, obviously like as a kid watching Michael Jordan, and then you had the home run chase. That was, that was just awesome. But yeah, we grew up, it's a, it's a big Cardinals country, um, a little bit of Cubs fans and a few Reds fans and all that. But um, and also like Don Mattingly is from Evansville. So kind of wherever he's gone and been people root for him, but in terms of a team, it's definitely a Cardinals area. So my brother, I kind of credit him for that. He was a Cardinals fan. and was the one that kind of got me to move away from the Dodgers to the, the Cardinals. My dad, I guess, whenever he was growing up, that was the only team that was on was the Dodgers. So okay. that's how he got, you know, to be a fan of theirs. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful, especially now that we've got Nolan Arenado, that oh, I'm a Cardinals great. fan. And I want to talk about that too, but with, with being where you were, growing up did you guys get camo x did it reach that far yeah 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 so, uh, yeah, cool? so I, yeah like it, it, I, what that's like the largest what is that like the largest reach of a radio station i think so and yeah. that's why that's why the cardinal fan base is so big but yeah we do get camo x i have a friend actually he's in his 30s and he is uh such an old schooler that he would rather listen to uh mike shannon on camo uh, Mike Shannon and John Rooney then actually watched the game on TV. <laughs> so I'm not so quite I'm to that getting point there. I can really? admit okay. like there's something about that. You know, this is supposed to be Shannon's last season. So yeah. that will all change. But I do like, uh, especially when they're on the, the West coast, we'll go to bed, you know, 10, 10 30. And I'll just put in my, my headphones and listen on my, on the app while falling asleep. And there's something really fun about listening yeah. to those guys late at night, calling a game. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and I, I, whenever I worked in sports journalism and I was covering sports and high school sports, uh, it was great because if I was covering a game, like thankfully the Cardinals play in the playoffs a lot. And so, um, you know, you got to find a way somehow to take in the game. And so I remember sitting at a a high school soccer game, covering the soccer game while I I bought this cheap, like AM radio for, uh, from like Walmart to listen to the game while I was covering the, covering a high school game. So I'm glad it's there. I'm glad obviously now in 2021, we've got apps that <laughs> make it a little easier, <laughs> right. but my buddy, w- my buddy will seriously go out and sit in his yard with a beer in his hand and just listen on the actual radio to a game. Like it's 1985 or something again, like it's r- respect to him for doing that. I just would much rather watch. Like he listened to David Freeze's home run in game six. I'm like, okay, dude, so you can't listen to that. You have I'm to, like, you have to witness that. That's when yeah. you just have to watch. And so yeah. he's like, no, I listened to it. It was great. And I'm like, you could have just watched it, <laughs> you know? So that's just, he's, he's funny, but uh, yeah, I mean, I ra- thankful for radio, but I'm also gr- grateful for MLB TV. <laughs> What's your favorite Cardinal memory to, to date? So you, right let's see, you're born six. in 89. <laughs> so you're 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be game six. There's just nothing that, that, that measures up to that. I mean, I remember, I mean, the, the 98 summer of the home run chase together was awesome. I remember where I was when he hit the 62nd home run yep. and, and that was just an awesome summer, but it's not a world series and it's not a, come back come from behind twice 
hometown kid hits a game winning home run, home run. Right. you know and, that, and i remember i was on a i was actually on a journalism trip in college down in orlando and there was a, a a reds fan who was a good friend of mine that was with me and then a bunch of random people and i was like you all are not going to stay in this room and watch this game with me and heckle me while i watch this game so i made everybody leave the room and i watched it on the tv by myself and so when he hit the home run i was obviously in shock but i remember just literally running around the hotel room and just un, like beside myself, could not believe what I was saying. And almost like whenever Tim McCarver, there's a silence after he crosses the plate and he just goes, how did this happen? Yeah. And I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> and so uh, obviously to come back from being down twice, down to their last strike twice to win that game was just, I, I don't really know. And honestly, the home run was great, but the triple was you know, even without the, the triple was even better. I mean, yeah, yes, it, it just was. was all of it. And the triple kind of gets lost because the home run was great, but the triple was just kind of like he, he hit it off the bat and you saw Cruz not playing as deep as he should have been. And there's actually a, a rumor that I heard where I guess he was playing in because he was wanting to be closer to the infield to celebrate. And oh, if that's yeah. the case, that makes it even better. But obviously the ball is off his off of freezes bat goes to right field and you just kind of hope for the best. And sure enough, triple scores too and you're just like holy cow we're back uh -huh. in this game yeah and to come back the night later and win game seven was just unbelievable yep yeah so that's got to be that's got to be easily my top one who was your favorite baseball player growing up as a kid oh that's tough i love doesn't king have Gr to be a cardinals fan I, or cardinals I, player either when, when i think of my childhood it's hard not to think immediately of king Griffey jr you know Solid like, choice i i batted left-handed and so from a Cardinal standpoint, actually, Fernando Vino was my favorite as a kid because I played second base and I batted left-handed. Okay. A little, pretty, little pretty number four. Yeah. yeah, I was I wore number four a lot. I, so he was always my favorite uh, during those early 2000s teams. Yeah. And uh, just really liked him. But then just King Griffey Jr. has got to be it. I mean, just so smooth. One of the prettiest swings in baseball. I think it's got to be him. That's a good choice. That yeah. is a solid choice. I'll take that. I'll take that all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you grow up playing Nintendo 64? And play King Griffey Jr. baseball on there. I didn't. I had a Nintendo sixty four. I don't think I had that game. I think I was more of a of a PlayStation guy. Okay, growing up, my brother so. still has our our sixty four, and to this day, we will will bust it out. And I do it's, it's so hard game. to play on a TV right now. <laughs> yeah, because you're so used to. If you play any new games now, like my buddy sent me a, a video of a gra of a video game, and he was like, "I thought this was real," and I looked at it, and I was like, "Wait." that's a video game and it was like some racing car game, but um, it looked like it was a TV yeah, broadcast or something. It's just crazy how graphics are now. So tell, uh, tell me, tell the listeners about your podcast, what it's all about. Why did you call it um, in no hurry? And so, kind of give me that whole background. Yeah. So um, I started the show kind of right after a season where I was just insanely insanely busy honestly and whenever my wife and i moved to bowling green kentucky i didn't teach this past school year frankly had had no plans to get back into teaching i was pretty burnt out i was uh, at my first teaching job i was the english teacher i was in charge of the student newspaper the uh, yearbook and i also was oh. the head boys and head boys tennis coach head girls tennis coach uh, chairperson for a couple of committees and it was just too much and I had all this creative energy. I wanted to write this book. I had a lot of these things that I wanted to write, and I never felt like I had time to do it. And if you're a creative person, you know, for me as an Enneagram 4, it's very difficult. As an Enneagram 4 and an Enneagram, Enneagram 3, 
I the three part is what got me to be so busy at the school because I wanted to take on everything. Everything, yeah. But then the four part never really got to express itself besides being the yearbook advisor. And that wasn't really the creativity that I wanted to spend my time on. Sure, yeah. And so a lot of the things that I had going on, I, I felt like hindered. And so I didn't teach the school year whenever we moved down here. And it was really kind of a freeing year. And so it was just, there was a lot of content that came out in the fall of 2019. There were like four books that were all kind of centered around this idea of hurry and eliminating hustle. One was John Mark Comer, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Great book. And then uh, Jefferson Becky wrote one called To Hell with the Hustle. And like my idea didn't necessarily come as a copy off of that. It just was, that was the, the space that I was living in. And it felt like there was a lot of people feeling that we need to slow down right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, and ironically, less than a year later, we had a pandemic that Pandem- slowed where we down. are forced to slow down. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We were forced to slow down. And so I think that there was just a lot of, like, I prayed for about two months trying to think of a name because I had this idea in the summer. I just didn't know what to call it. And I was just listening to music and there was some song that came on that, um, the idea of not being in a hurry. I don't even remember the song, honestly. I just remember that idea kept coming in my head. And I was like, that's really kind of the space that I'm living in. And, um, you know, it's biblical too, you know, God yeah. tells us to, 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 to slow down and, you know, obviously be still. And, um, it's just that, I think that's a, I think that's a great way to approach faith is being still not trying to be in a hurry, being patient on God's timing. And I think that's something that I've tried to tell myself. And so the premise of it, it's, it's not so much about that. I mean, the, the show is really focused on, um, kind of intersecting people's faith with their creativity. I talked to a lot of writers and I talked to a lot of uh, musicians and mm-hmm. kind of other people in creative spaces. And I love to hear people's creative processes. I mean, just somebody who's like me, who's a writer in Enneagram four, that's kind of where I like to live and talk in that, in those conversations. So that's really where it is. And I always like to, I mean, I always ask my guests, you know, what do they do to slow down and that sort of stuff, but you know, not every single conversation is always about that topic. I mean, we do have some that are about that, but it's really about the the art of creativity and just the beauty of creativity and how uh, God has given us this, this, I mean, God is the ultimate creator and has given us this ability to create and this desire to mm-hmm. create. And I think that all of us have so many different creative abilities that we either don't know about or we're not expressing. And so the, the goal is hopefully to help people hear other people's stories and their creative abilities and get in touch with their own so that they can be inspired and do whatever it is that God's calling them to do. Yeah, that's really good. I don't want to talk about Enneagram in a second, but do you have, there's an app, I, I use it regularly. It's called Live From Rest. And I heard of that. Okay. So it's a, um, it's guided meditation through biblical passages. Okay. And, and, it, and he has a podcast also called Live From Rest. This is not an ad for it. I just love it this much. <laughs> <laughs> but this whole premise of, especially again, where I'm coming from with my career, it's, it's hustle, it's grind, it's you know, um, 80 plus hour work weeks, right. Just to keep pushing. Yeah. And, and I got so burned out on that. And yet I can't get away from this because it's what I feel like I'm called to do. So I was in this predicament and I find this guy and he's, it's all about how, what this culture right now is telling us to do this also this is when i started reading john mark comer's book and all this stuff yeah. right because i was like yes i am sick of hustling i'm I'm over it there's got to be a better way yeah and and there is there's this idea it's rooted in the bible that we don't have to grind we don't have to hustle god's called us to simply rest and be yeah. and he will provide and 
I'm learning all of this coming into the pandemic. So coming into like last March. And if I look back, actually, I was reading a journal entry earlier this morning from a year ago today. I was a hot mess. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and I'm, and, but I'm, I'm re, I was writing going, okay, I feel like I'm supposed to rest, but I don't know how to rest and expect God to provide for me. Like you said, your biggest worry was, was money. Yeah. Um, as far as anxiety, minus two, and it comes from me being an Enneagram seven, where my biggest fear is I'm not going to be provided for. I have yeah. to provide for myself. Well, when you're an entrepreneur, like it magnifies, it's like quadrupled the, the amount of pressure. So anyway, to fast forward and not to take up your time, but I, I can look back now in a year ago while I rested and God provide more than what I could have imagined. Yeah. And, and so to your point, I love, you know, that's where I really got hooked on your show was like, okay, what, what is this in no hurry? Cause that's my new life. Yeah. 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 I, 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 you're very kind uh, with your, with your words about my show. I, I really appreciate that. Cause you never know who's listening to your show. You never know like I hear what, you. uh, you know, what somebody's going to get out of it. And it's always nice to hear somebody has. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of been the heart of it. And I mean, I've talked about this on the show. There's been times where I felt like quitting and, uh, whenever I've prayed about like, God, if this is something you want me to keep doing, doors have opened for more guests to come on my show. And, um, whenever I felt burnt out, like, you know, I do the show every week and the only time that I took a break was in the summer, I took a month off, but I'd also doubled up the month before and did eight episodes instead of four. And so, you know, I took a month off and, um, it, now it's just kind of a rhythm. It's just kind of like, this is what I'm doing. And this is part, mm-hmm. of, part of my week now. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it. Cause I, I mean, I, part of it was getting back into being able to interview people. I loved that part of journalism and I missed that part of journalism. And this is kind of, kind of a way of storytelling. I mean, I'm yeah. sharing a conversation, but you're also inviting people to share their story on your platform, which I think is powerful. And, you know, the variety of guests that I've been able to have has just been awesome. Like I never thought when I set out to start the show that I'd have Matt Holiday you know, world series champion from my favorite baseball team on my show. And then as the, as the Lord would have it, I'm producing his podcast now. Like I never thought that would happen. I never thought that I would have my favorite author, Hannah Brincher on my podcast. Like that just was like a dream. And Mm -hmm. so many of these things, like, like I had a, when I first started out the show, I had it on my phone that you kind of a podcast guest wish list. Sure. Yeah. Like I got one too. Yeah. And like for the most part, just about everybody that I put on there initially has been able to be on. And uh, there's obviously some people that I'd love to have on that I haven't been able to work out yet, but it's, it's just been awesome to be like, man, I got to talk to so many people that I look up to That's right. and, and invite them and share a conversation with them. And I just think that's really cool. And on top of that, like I had a realization um, back in, you know, it was around the election time where, I had this poet on my show. His name was Lo Alleman, and he wrote a, po- a book of poems that was kind of all about the racial justice stuff that we dealt with in 2020. And, you know, we talked about some really, really deep, important stuff as it relates to race in our country and faith. And I said, I told my wife, I said, how cool is it that somebody trusts me and my platform enough and, and thinks of it enough that they want to share this important conversation on my platform. Like Mm -hmm. that's a really cool honor that I get to use my platform to help share this important message. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of podcasts about a lot of different topics and some of them, you know, you could argue maybe not as fruitful. They're just talking about random stuff. Now I think it's always great that you can have fun and do whatever, but like for me to look back and say, this man was able to come on my show and talk about 
race and what we can do as a country to find justice and find peace and find, you know, hope for a better future. Like that's a really cool honor to say that this happened on my show. And, and I just, I don't take that for granted that I get to have those conversations. I think that's, you know, I, I prayed that God would use my show uh, in whatever way he, he wanted to. And I feel like I, I tried not to let those kind of things be about me. I want them to be about, you know, whoever the guest is, but also about whatever the conversation is and how it's honoring God. And I feel like when I look back at my show, like I'm proud of the fact that those conversations are doing that. Yeah. No, that's great. And I'm really happy for you. And, and what I love is your attitude towards the whole thing, because you could come in at a whole different angle of like, this is my show yeah. and I'm going to do this. Oh, and, believe me, I've been at that point before. And it's and it, that, uh, like last December or last January when I almost quit the show. I mean, that's kind of where it was. And I, and I, I did a whole podcast episode about this by myself. And um, but I basically talked about how like the year that I didn't teach. I was really struggling with identity. And the only thing that I really had that was fulfilling me was this podcast. And I would look at the numbers of each episode and the downloads weren't what I wanted. And I was so disappointed and it was stealing the joy about of, of what I was doing. Right. And I, I just was like, I've got to stop worrying about that and just do this because God has called me to do it mm -hmm. and not worry about it and just enjoy the process. Like, holy cow, like instead of saying like, man, only a hundred people listen to my show thinking, holy cow, a hundred people listen people. to my show. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a, some churches, that's what their, their Sunday service total is. Right. So if you think about it and you, you get to, you get to talk to a small church every week, you know, like yeah, that's, that's pretty true. cool. Yeah, that is very true. I, I work really hard not to look at my numbers yeah. because it, it'll mess with me. And someone told me the, I don't know, a couple months ago, but it was the whole, like, he leaves the 99 for one. And yeah. if you help one person, who listens just to one episode? Well, yeah. that's all that's worth it. Yeah. And, and that's what I always have to keep in mind too. Like, yeah, I'm just doing it to get, you know, meet people like you and yeah. cool. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mentioned Hannah Brencher before she was my favorite author and she, uh, she's just a phenomenal person and just like one of like somebody that I just think is one of the, I always refer to her whenever I've written about her, how on my show, like she's literally one of my favorite people. And she does a, an online writing course that I went through. And one of the, the sections in there is it's, cel it's called celebrate the one. And it's basically like, if you cannot celebrate the one person who comes to your show, then you're not really ready for the hundreds or the thousands because you have to learn to celebrate the one. She said like, like she's really, really big now, but she said, I honestly miss the days early on when I knew by name, the 15, people that were coming to my blog and where they lived and I could connect with them personally. And obviously like, it's great to have thousands and thousands of readers or listeners, but there's something special too about building a community with people and knowing those that come and engage with your content, which not to say you shouldn't strive for more people to hear it. I think if anybody's creating something, I think the desire is always for the most amount of people to read it or listen to it. Like anytime mm -hmm. that I write something or put a podcast out, like I want everybody to hear it. Cause I think that whatever conversation I've brought to the table is worthy or is worth it for everybody to listen to. Now, obviously I know that's not the reality, but like, I think it's good to have that heart that, Hey, I believe in my stuff so much that I want everybody to, to, hear this or read it but also to understand that yeah not everybody's going to and to be okay with the fact that that's right. not going to happen but also appreciate right. those that do come like they were meant to be here to hear this they were meant to be here to listen to this or or to 
to read this. You just have no idea what somebody might be going through when they come across your content. And that's sort of been the approach that I've had to take with it. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's great advice for anybody who's listening, who maybe has this dream of starting something or any type of art or any type of creativity. I think to the bottom line is just start, just do it. Yeah. And, and then also be, it's all about the process and the joy of doing it. Not, not necessarily the outcome. Yeah. And I keep referencing Hannah, but she just read, she just wrote another book that came out and that's literally a chapter. It's uh, basically talking about just show up. Like you have mm -hmm. no idea what will happen if you just show up. Nothing yeah, in life, nothing in life ever happens unless someone shows up and you don't have any idea like you don't. And then we just got a book in the mail from uh, Annie Downs, obviously one of the biggest authors out there, yep. but one, one, you know, her book is also about like, part of it is, you know, not being a pro at stuff, being an amateur. Like if we just tried to be a pro at everything, then I would never do anything, you know? And right. I think there's beauty in being like, I'm an amateur podcaster. I'm not a professional podcaster. And I think it's great. Like if I waited to being until I was quote unquote, able to be a pro professional, then I never would have gotten started. And That's so right. I think all of those messages, yeah, like just do it, just have fun and don't put so much pressure on yourself. Don't, don't set such high expectations for yourself. If God's called you to do something creative, do it and enjoy the process. And and one other book that I would recommend as we're all kind of on this topic is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's one of my favorite creative books. Okay. And uh, she basically says the same thing. Like she, she's a, a very prominent writer now, but she said it took until about three books before she quit her day job to become a full-time writer because she wow. didn't want her creativity to be uh, her main thing. She didn't want to be reliant on her creativity for her income and she wanted to keep being able to do it for the joy of it. And I think like, as long as you can do things creatively for the joy of it and not attach, uh, you know, stress to it. Yeah. Keep doing it that way. That's right. That's right. So can we talk about your Enneagram four? Yeah. Wing three. What's your wife? She is a two and she kind of fluctuates. Sometimes she feels like she's a one. Sometimes she feels like she's a three wing. She's a, she's a mental health therapist. So she's like way more knowledgeable about the Enneagram than I am. Like she's very smart and uses it, you know, obviously with her counseling, but she, she's very much a two, um, very, very much a two and wears the emotions of everybody oh. in the room on her sleeve. And, and that's a good thing. She, she cares very deeply, but we complement each other really well. I think fours sure and do. twos, they fours do. and twos go really well together. And, um, you know, she, she's very, encouraging and also it's weird to say but like respectful of my creativity like she knows if i tell her like hey i'm gonna be writing today like she knows mm -hmm. not to bother me because she knows kind of the the space that i need to be in like she went with me with we went to nashville last summer i just took a weekend away we rented an airbnb and i she went out and hung out with her friends that day and i stayed in this kind of outdoor patio space that this house had to do just to have a writing day to work on my book. And like, she knows how important those kind of moments are for me and to do those sorts of things. And, uh, she's very encouraging and caring. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I dated somebody who I think was probably an eight and that didn't really <laughs> work out very well. And no, no, I can't imagine that one. Like on a being, a, <laughs> being a four and, and having somebody who's an eight, it was just not, not a good mix. So, uh, but yeah, Emily and I really pair well together. And I think, you know, I, 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 I kind of have a, a hot and cold relationship with the Enneagram. Cause I think a lot of people misunderstand it and they misunderstand how to use it. And yeah. on top of that, they, they weaponize it like, or they'll use oh, it yeah. as an excuse. They'll be like, Oh, well, like I'm just, I'm an eight. So that's, 
Oh, I'm, I'm just going to be a jerk to everybody. Cause I, yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to be a jerk. Cause I'm an eight. Like, that's just my eightness. Sorry. It's like, no, you're also a human being with a lot of intricacies and more dynamics than just a number. And so right. I've right. had a kind of a hard time with it at times because I feel like it's almost like people walk around, like they have this invisible number above their head. Like, Oh, you're a four, you're a three. It's like, they're a whole human, they're a whole human being, but you know, they just have more tendencies that align with this number. So I think it's a very good tool. Um, I just, I, I hate when people misunderstand it they're, or they're like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a four with a seven wing. I'm like, that's not really a thing. You can't do that. So yeah. <laughs> right. No, I've, I've heard, heard, I've heard people, people say that. I mean, I've oh, yeah. had a guy, I had a guy on my podcast recently say that. And I was like, oh, you can't really. he's like, I know you can't do that. But that's how I feel. I am. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> huh? all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I'm always leery, like as we, I don't know, time goes, we found out about the Enneagram years before it became popular. Okay. And yes, I've seen it weaponized and I hate that. I've also seen it dumbed down yeah. and I don't like that. So I'm like, I'm leery because of what it's become. But if you kind of strip all the stuff away and you don't look at Instagram and you don't look at the memes, even though sometimes those are really funny and you get back to the heart of what it really is, it is truly life-changing. And, you know, um, we use it in work with our clients just because it really then makes sense on how your teammates show up to the, to the world and how they receive communication and how they, um, you know, go about their day. And if we're all walking around with blinders on and we don't realize that other people around us not seeing the world that we see, that can be a really big cause for trouble and a disaster. And so that's what yeah. I like about it. Yeah. Um, I also like that immediately now that you know, for instance, like I know you're a four and, and I'm a seven, like I can get to common ground with you really quick yeah. and I can understand you. Um, my wife, by the way, is a two. I love twos. I, I will always have this beautiful spot in my, my heart because of my wife. And yeah, they are, um, I think they, twos are like the secret weapon to all of life. What does she do professionally? Is she a teacher or like a nurse or something that cares for people? She cares for animals. So she okay. is- okay. <laughs> Uh, we'll count that <laughs> yeah no you have to so she now is part-time because of our kids uh but full-time before kids was a veterinarian technician and right. then she started she went and got certified and she was a dog trainer and then they took it one step further and now they train service dogs so these are dogs that are really going to kids with like epilepsy or she did one about a year ago with severe anxiety yeah. so it is it's still serving i mean it is a here I am. Yeah. Let me help you. And yeah, she's, they're saints in my opinion. Yeah. My mother-in-law um, was an elementary school teacher for 25 years, very much a two as well. The twos make really good teachers twos make really good. Uh, any, any professional that any profession that requires, you know, service caring for people or, or animals. I mean, that obviously plays right into it. So doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. One thing I found really interesting about the Enneagram and we talked about John Mark Comer earlier, but he was on, Annie Downs's podcast, I think it was a year or two ago, probably shortly after his book came out, but they were talking about the Enneagram and he was saying how, you know, when this, cause the Enneagram has been around for a while, it's just kind of become forever. Really, yes. It's become really trendy within the last five years or so. Mm -hmm. But originally uh, he was saying that pastors and priests, they were aware of it. They knew about it. They yeah, used it, right. but like say that I was a priest and I was counseling you, never once would you hear the word Enneagram, but what I was, the advice or the, the content that I was saying to you 
would be based on what I had assessed your Enneagram number to be. So rather than labeling somebody and saying, well, you're a four, this is why it was, mm-hmm. people were just saying like, I believe that they are, you're this, you know, and, th- and I'm going to advise you on that. But there was never any talk of like, well, it's because like there was no label attached to it. Right. And right. I think that what ha- what's happened is we've kind of gotten into kind of a dangerous world where people are labeling other people yeah. what their Enneagram no, I, is. I completely agree. And yeah. I think like I, I've heard a number of people who are much more uh, knowledgeable, you know, have studied the Enneagram that say that's really not a good thing to do. I don't know all this, the reasons exactly why, but basically they're saying like you need that like, people need to figure it out for themselves because if they never heard about it and you say, oh, you're a two, well, then they're going to look at whatever, you know, they, maybe they do the test or they read a book and they try to determine for themselves. They're going to already have this preconceived Precon- notion yep. Yep. and it kind of dilutes the actual self-realization process of That's it. Right. right. And it is, that's, it's exactly what it is. It is a process. You never go, well, I'm going to be the perfect, whatever number. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the Jesuit priests, they don't even share what their numbers are to yeah. anybody else. It's really supposed to be between us and God. Yeah. And, yeah. And like rule number one is you don't type other, another person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, it's interesting how, not surprising, but interesting how uh, American evangelical culture has, you know, turned this into kind of an internet trendy thing. Of course. Cause it just makes for a casual, you know, like, oh, well, you know, this, this four over here just can't get enough of creativity. It just, you see all those captions like that, where it's like people just uh-huh. like they, I see so many people that like they, they so identify with their Enneagram that it's almost like you realize that you're more than just that. Like right. you realize you're sure. more than just a four on the Enneagram. You are a whole human being with, I think, I mean, this may not be accurate. I feel like we all have tendencies or things about all of the numbers we do but obviously yes. the obviously the enneagram is more about like what are your i think it kind of deals with like your upbringing and what motivates you and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff but like yeah it's just I, I hate to see people reduce themselves or reduce others to just a number because i just right. feel like yeah. we are so much more complex than that so that's kind of my love hate relationship with the enneagram i love it but i hate whenever it's mischaracterized or misused mm-hmm yeah, no, that makes sense. I get it. I, I'm in the same boat, so I get it completely. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up, I, uh, so my the podcast obviously it's called the Happy Place, and I always want to know what makes people happy, and this show is for those who are listening to figure out how to make the world a better place. So I ask you, what is your happy place? Man, the last year or so, um, it was it was the golf course. <laughs> really, I started playing golf a lot last year. Uh, just. I've always played here and there and I just wondered how I would be if I, if I played more and I never really committed to buying any clubs. And this past summer, I finally did. I bought some nice, really nice used clubs and there's a course just two minutes from my house. And so I would like, I'd I'd go home from work and I'd just go out and play nine holes and by myself and just enjoy it and enjoy the process of learning a new skill and a new game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, that was fun. And, and obviously it's frustrating whenever you feel like you can hit something better, but it was, it was, it's been really fun to, cause I, I tried to learn guitar early last year and that was just really difficult. And golf is one of those things where I'm good enough at it that I, it makes me want to keep going back because I don't have a completely demoralizing day. Like I'll hit two or three good shots and I'll be like, that's why I keep coming back. That's right. That's how so, it works. So now that it's cold, it's been kind of a little difficult not to be out there, but I, I have been very like, I, I, I play tennis for almost, you know, the last 
16 years of my life or so 15 or 16, 17 years of my life. And, and I love it, but um, I just have played so much that it's, it's nice to kind of find something new and um, just to try a new sport. So I'm eagerly awaiting warmer weather so I can get back out on the golf course and, and play again. Man. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not very good yet, but I, I do enjoy like, you know, kind of going along with the theme of my own show, you know, that's one of the ways that I, kind of have just some me time, you know, to go out and just kind of get a cart and just play nine holes by myself. I mean, this summer I'll probably try to just walk more, you know, just try to walk the course and enjoy the, the nice weather and that sort of stuff. You know, I, I just, I really enjoy being out there and just trying to just see what I can improve on. And I don't get too upset. I mean, if I hit a ball that that's just horrible, then, you know, that I'm like envisioning where I'm going to hit it and it goes 50 yards the other way, then that's frustrating. But, you know, I don't expect to, to do anything amazing on the course. I just enjoy being out there. Yeah. Well, if you ever make it up to St. Louis, then give me a call. We'll, well, I'll be we'll up there play. as soon as they let fans back in the baseball stadium this year. I will be I mean, in that, St. I think Louis. That's going to be, it'll yeah. happen. Cause that was, I, th- I think, I think 2020 was the first year in a while that I've not been to a major league baseball game, unless uh, I'm missing a year in between, but, it's been a while since I've, and I, it was weird not to be able to go to one and we have a minor league team here in Bowling Green. And I was really excited whenever we moved here. Uh, actually, uh, Matthew Lipertor, who the Cardinals traded for last mm-hmm. year played for the team here whenever the, he was with the, the Rays organization. Cause we have a single a Tampa Bay Rays team here, but, and actually, um, forget his name whoever the the number one prospect wander franco he's, he played here with matthew libertor so the two of the top prospects in baseball were here in bowling green right before i moved here but i was excited to go to the games and then all the minor league games were canceled so i didn't get no. to go to any so as soon as baseball is is opening it up to fans i will be in st louis for a game good for you yeah i think yeah. 2020 was the first time in my life i didn't get to go to a major league game that's crazy i know and yeah. i didn't realize that until you just said it yeah like wow. i'm gonna just put an asterisk by that and not really count it because it doesn't count. We didn't have a choice. You know, it wasn't like we opt, you know, opted not to go. We just were told you can't be here. So, right. I mean, I can't really uh, count that as my, cause it was a weird year. I mean, nobody got to go unless you were like Anthony Fauci and then the random fans in the playoffs that got to go to the games, but right. you know, right. ordinary fans were not allowed to go. Right. What are you reading right now? I always am interested in what people are reading or, yeah. or listening to. If you don't read and do audible. Uh, several things actually. So I'm finishing Hannah Brincher's book. It's called fighting forward. Uh, that's kind of the first book that I started reading this year. I'm also reading, um, of mice and men with my juniors in my English class. It's the first time I've actually read it and taught it. So I'm reading that. And then I just started a book of the month thing for my podcast. And so I'm, uh, going to start reading the book that goes with that. It's called the seven rings of marriage. And so, uh, here in February, you know, we're talking with Valentine's Day and all that. And so got a few books um, and I, I've got a lot of books that I need to read. I, uh, I have a goal of reading 25 this year. That was my goal in 2020 and I read 20. Uh, so <laughs> trying to get to 25 books this year. My wife has already read like 10 books this year. She's a, she reads like crazy. She, well, and we both listen on Audible, um, but she reads and listens like crazy. And we, I walked in the house. There's two books on the kitchen counter, uh, just that we got in the mail today too. So we're very big readers. My wife loves to read for fun. I don't read a ton of fiction. I'm going to try to read more fiction this year. That's kind of a goal of mine. I mostly read a lot of nonfiction, Christian nonfiction, but, uh, yeah, I've got three books that I'm reading right now. So hopefully get like, all those. How do you like of mice and men? Uh, I've only got through the first chapter so far, but it's good. I'm not, I'm not a big John Steinbeck fan. Uh. 
it's a, sometimes a little too much description, but it's a it's an interesting story, and I like that he writes about his roots. You know, I think a lot of a lot of authors try to write about things they don't know, and I mm-hmm. think that's one of the most that's one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten as a writer is to write about what you know. What you know, sure. And so he's writing about what he knows, and I think uh, it's interesting, you know, to read things that are they're nonfiction, but I'm sorry, they're fiction, but they've got you know, it's a fictional story set within like an actual event, you know? So we've got yeah. fictional characters that are living through the great depression. And yeah. so you get, I think it's kind of a cool way to learn history uh, because you learn it through these fictional characters. And so I, I think I'll like it. I think I'll, every teacher that I've talked to that's taught it says that their students really love it. And so I'm excited to finish it. And it's a, it's an American classic. So I feel sure. like I've got to read it at some point and it's only like 107 pages. So it's not very long at all. Yeah. I think, I think that was one of like the three books I liked in high school. I was not a reader in high school. Yeah. So. The Great Gatsby is always my favorite. That's, that I, is one of my absolute favorites. I, I can't get enough of that. Um, I also teach every year that I've taught, I've taught Fahrenheit 451, which is another classic. Oh. And uh, that one continues every year to be more and more relevant, which is crazy. So those, I, I mean, American literature, I'm a big fan of. I can't get much into British lit or other things like that, but you know, the classic American literature stories I do like and kind of surprising I've not read I, I know I've read Grapes of Wrath in high school I may have read of Mice and Men at some point I don't really remember it if I did so I'm just counting this as kind of my first read through yeah yeah very cool and uh last question what did 2020 teach you oh man so much <laughs> so much um I did a whole episode on my podcast talking about this because there was so much to process but one thing that I, I really kind of got irritated with was how many people were just bemoaning the the year 2020 and looking ahead to 2021 like it was going to be some magic antidote that we were going to have this new life mm-hmm. and and I got tired every, every single year you see people say like this year is a dumpster fire and it's when people start using the same phrases over and over again, I kind of get irritated. So I got really irritated of seeing that phrase as well. And so I really was like almost like defiantly trying to find positive outlooks on 2020. And I think the best thing that it taught me, well, there was multiple things. One, it taught me how strong my wife is uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We went through some things in 2020 um, that were really, really difficult with her family. And it, it, I think us being together a lot was a really good thing and being there for each other was a really good thing. And so that was definitely one thing, but I think above all, I mean, my, my reliance on God was, uh, it it was put in the, put into the spotlight. And also I I feel like my, my faith in God was strengthened because there were so many things that were uncertain. And like you talked, like we talked about, you know, financially, it was pretty uncertain at times I was working for my father-in-law's small business and, didn't know what was going to happen when COVID hit and things shut down. Cause we were, I was doing marketing and like, you know, digital stuff for his company, which was a, uh, like a document destruction paper shredding company. And with businesses being closed, there wasn't really a whole lot for us to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just was kind of worried that something would happen to my job. And then the, this job opened up at a school and I was kind of like, you know what, I've been kind of feeling called to get back into teaching. And so I got this teaching job and then uh, turned out he, sold his company at the end of the year. And so my position probably would have been eliminated. And so like 
there's just, I think, you know, my reliance on God, but also God's uh, provision for us, you know, kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the, of the conversation was that same thing. And I just, I feel like that's what it taught me was that God really is going to take care of us. And even when we feel like there's no hope or we're in the midst of a really dark season or an uncertain season that, uh, you know, God's going to take care of us. It might look different for you than it does me, but God's going to take care of us in the best way that he knows how to do and in, in the best way that he knows will be applicable for us. Cause oftentimes we think we know what's best for us, but we don't. We don't. And God's yeah. going to take care of us in the way that is best for us. Yeah. I love it. What a way to wrap that up. That was good, man. Very good. Where can people find you? Uh, so I I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Both of those are Cole Claiborne. That's the handle. Um, you could find me on Facebook. I have a page, a writer page. Do search Cole Douglas Claiborne, and then I have a website as well, ColeClaiborne.com, and all of the articles and devotionals that I read. I do a weekly newsletter, so love for people to sign up for that. I send that out every Monday along with my weekly podcast episode. So I'm pretty uh, easily accept or accessible. So if, if people can't find me, then they're not really searching hard enough. Because if you if you Google me, you'll find everything. So I'm pretty active on on all social media platforms. I love to engage with people, love to talk with people and put thoughts out there and share stuff. So um, I'm a four. I love to share. I'm kind of an oversharer, you know? So um, yeah. You just pretty, labeled yourself again, remember? Yeah, that's right. That's right yeah. <laughs> but no, pretty, pretty easy to find. I'd love to connect with people and I always love meeting new people. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. 